Welcome to Our Missouri, a podcast about the people, places, culture, and history of the 114 counties and independent city of St. Louis that comprise the great state of Missouri. Each episode focuses on a topic related to the state, ranging from publications about Missouri's history to current projects undertaken by organizations to preserve and promote local institutions. The Our Missouri podcast is recorded in the J. Christian Bay Rare Books Room at the State Historical Society of Missouri's Columbia Research Center and is generously provided to you by the State Historical Society of Missouri. And now, here's your host, Sean Rost. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, or whatever hour you're tuning in to listen to the Our Missouri podcast. My name is Sean Rost, and I'll be your guide as we explore the memories, moments, and misfortunes from Our Missouri. Today's episode is a special one as it was recorded on location at the Governor's Mansion in Jefferson City and features Mrs. Teresa Parson, First Lady of the State of Missouri, and Dr. Gary R. Kramer, Executive Director of the State Historical Society of Missouri. We graciously accepted an invitation from the First Lady to sit down and discuss her life and family, as well as her goals for addressing important issues related to the state's culture and history. And now we take you to the library of the Governor's Mansion for a conversation with Missouri's First Lady. Welcome to the Our Missouri Podcast, First Lady and Teresa Parson. Thank you very much. Very happy that you're here today. Thank you, Ms. Parson, for hosting us here. We all know who the governor is, and we know a little bit about his roots. But many of our listeners don't know who Mrs. Parson is. So why don't we begin by you just telling us uh, who is Teresa Parson? Well, basically, I think I'm just a normal Missourian. I come from humble beginnings. I grew up on a farm. I'm actually a very proud mother of two. And I have five grandchildren. And honestly, my faith and my family give me the strength that I need each day. They carry me through on rough times, and I just uh, rely on them for a lot of support. I actually have been in banking and retired after 40 years of service in, uh, in banking. So I always found time, however, because I think it's important, our next generation, uh, is how important it is. So I always tried to make time to volunteer and do things for that involved children. And you said you grew up on a farm. Was I did. that near Bolivar? It, it was. It was. Most of my life has been in and around the Bolivar community. Mm-hmm. And my parents actually had a, a dairy farm. And I would milk in the evenings while my brothers played sports during high school, and they would milk of a morning. So how many cows? Uh, about 40. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it was okay. My dad actually, when the, when my brothers, I have three brothers and when they started in sports, they, they actually would be gone, of course, to, to practice in the evening. And so I would uh, milk, but my dad put in a pipeline at that time. So it made life easy for me. Yeah. <laughs> so did, did your family raise its own feed for the, for the animals? And yes, you, you had hay and corn and Hey, silage, corn, yes, yes. And my dad also, he worked off, off of the farm as well, a 40-hour work week. So uh, we, we all helped support the family and that it, by putting a little bit of our own selves into the farm. So did you, growing up, were you in the hayfield? Did you drive a tractor? <laughs> did you drive a truck? I did, a little. Most of the time, I would rake. Mm-hmm. That's about the only thing that dad would allow me to do. And then, of course, I would drive the truck or the tractor when they were loading the hay onto the wagons. Mm. So, that's but yeah, pretty, yeah, that's I helped. Cool. We had a big garden. All of us, each one of us children, I remember had, that was during the summer months, that's what we would uh, do. Our duty was to actually to weed one row mm. of each day. 
So we all had our own little little duties to take care of. And that was one of, we have four of us. So each day, four rows from the garden was weeded. <laughs> so do you still garden? Uh, we haven't, of course, for the last two or three years. But after Mike and I married, we lived in town, so we didn't have, we didn't do a garden at that time. But when we moved back and bought a bought some acreage outside of town, we, yes, we, we had a little garden for a few years. It was always fun because the kids, that was one day, one day when the corn was ready and we would go out, we'd pick the corn all together. We would all come back to the house and we would cut the corn and, and put it away and, and then split it up and send it home with the, with the kids. So did you, did you do canning and that sort of thing growing up? I have done that. Oh yes. I've done that in my lifetime as well. Yes, pressure cooker, canning, yeah. green beans, beets, all kinds, anything, yeah. a lot of things. That's but, pretty cool. Yeah. Were your ancestral roots in Polk County? They, they were. My grandparents uh, on both sides, actually, one of them came from Kentucky and the other one came from Tennessee. But, uh, but my mom and dad both were raised in, lived in, and have lived in Polk County their entire life. Hmm. They, they actually just celebrated 68 years really? of marriage. They're both living, both that's, living on their own. That's a real blessing. <clears throat> it is. It is. Mike and I are real blessed. His mom and dad, before his mother passed away, had celebrated 63 years of marriage before his mother passed away. And so, yes, my mom and dad both, and they still live right there in Polk County. Wow. Were they farmers as well? Are you talking about my grandparents? Yeah, your grandpa my grandparents. I'm sorry. Yeah, your no. grandparents. Um, my grandpa Saner was, but uh, Grandpa Franklin actually did not farm very much. Uh, he, he worked for a, an MFA most of his life. So he was, had, you know, agricultural background. But, In Polk County. Mm -hmm. they, yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. What's it like to be first lady? Mm -hmm. Well, it's a different lifestyle. It's very rewarding, very humbling. I, I enjoy each day waking up. It's still just something that it's unbelievable when you wake up in this particular house. And yeah. so it's, it's very rewarding. I, I enjoy it. Enjoy what's it. a, what's a typical first lady day? <laughs> well, or is there such? They vary. They're different. Some days I travel with the governor. Some days I have meetings here to, this morning. I have had meetings here in house. We may have guests. We'll have luncheons and possibly banquets in the evening sometimes. So it's, it's always busy. There's always something each day, and each yeah. day is different. What do you think is the First Lady's biggest challenge and responsibility? Well, I, my challenge is finding time for my children and grandchildren. Yeah. The other things, you know, just seem to take place, but it's, it's hard. It's difficult because we, were, we are so family-oriented that sometimes when the grandchildren have special games or homecomings and different things, you know, we 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 try as much as we can to make time to do that, but that's that's the most difficult part is just trying to to find time for your family always and keep them always. And how uh, many grandchildren? We have five. We Age. have five. So, well, actually, from twenty down to eleven. Okay. And uh, so that's our daughter and her husband have the five children, and our son and his wife do not have any children, but they live down uh, in Southwest Missouri. So. Have you know, they spent the night here? Oh, yes, they have. They do not get to spend as much time up here as what Mike and I would like, obviously. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but yes, they've been, they've been they here. I thought that was pretty cool. 
they think it's pretty special <laughs> and it is pretty special. So I'm glad that they feel that way because yeah. it yeah. is special to come. Before we return to our conversation, let's take a step back in time with Bob Pretty to an event from This Week in History in a Missouri Minute. I'm Bob Pretty with this Missouri Minute. Joseph Pulitzer seemed to have a thing for the number 10. He arrived in Missouri on October 10th, cast his first important vote in the Missouri legislature on January 10th, and he was born on April 10th in 1847. He came to Missouri broke and speaking poor English because a man had told him this was a good place to become Americanized. He became one of our greatest American newspapermen. He got a job on a German paper in St. Louis, left it to own another German paper for one day, and then he bought the St. Louis Post. And three days after that, the backers of the more successful dispatch decided to merge with him and his paper, creating the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. At the age of 22, only six years after coming to this country, he became a member of the Missouri General Assembly, where he fought against corruption in St. Louis County government. Eventually, he went to New York, there to publish the New York World in its epic circulation battle against William Randolph Hearst's newspaper, triggering the era known as yellow journalism. His health was always precarious, his eyesight always bad. He went blind when he was 64, shortly before his death in 1911. I'm Bob Pretty for the Center for Missouri Studies. Looking forward over the next couple of years, do you have any particular initiatives you hope to accomplish while you're First Lady? Well, as I said earlier, I always tried, when I did volunteer, I always tried to do things that were related to children. And mm -hmm. actually, the governor and I was involved in the JAG program, which stands for Jobs for American Graduates, uh, during the time that he was in the lieutenant governor's office. And uh, we actually co-chair the JAG Missouri board um, here in Missouri. And Mike is actually a member of the national board as well. And Jobs for American Graduates is a program geared for high school children to keep them in school, to help them to get their high school diploma, and then to put them into either a workforce or a secondary school or a four-year college if, mm -hmm. if that's where they, they need to be headed. And a lot of these children in this particular program, it is for at-risk students, and a lot of times not because of situations that they're not intelligent because they're very bright young people, but it's family situations a lot of times that they struggle because of something at home. And uh, this program engages them and keeps them in school and helps them get into the workforce in whatever capacity that they mm -hmm. have. Right. Yeah. And then also, I, I'm also, another initiative of mine is uh, all children with any type of special needs and all special needs. But the reason I chose, chose that is pretty much has to do with, I have a great niece who has autism and she has, and I've seen the struggles and the sacrifices that her family has made. And so that was all children with all, all the spe different special needs. But uh, that's the reason I chose that program and we'll advocate for, for that and for people just awareness mm -hmm. as to what these children, that, and, and a lot of these children as well with some type of education and help can actually live very productive lives. You've been first lady and you've lived in this house more than six months, going on a year, really. What have been some of the most memorable events or activities in your time as first lady and in this house? Well, immediately after coming in, I saw the importance of the docent program here mm -hmm. and the volunteers that help in this particular house. And I wanted something special for them. And so we had an appreciation luncheon for them one day, had a coffee and a tea. They, they were here, so that was pretty special. We've done, of course, the Parson Fall Foliage out on the lawn, mm -hmm. and the children always enjoy that. We followed with trick-or-treating and, of course, the candlelight ceremony here for the Christmas time. 
And one of the special, another special thing that we've had the honor to do is the USS Missouri Nuclear Submarine crew mm-hmm. was touring the state of Missouri, and we had them and welcomed them into the mansion, and was able to use the USS Silver that we oh, have cool. in house here. And so that was a special day because that that they were they were traveling our state and and we wanted to to show our support for them. So those are some of the highlights, I think, of the things that we've been okay. able to do. I've seen that you refer to this house, the mansion, as the people's house. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? Well, the governor's mansion is owned by all Missourians. So therefore, I think it is the people's house. It's, I just have an opportunity, and Mike, the governor, has the opportunity to live here for a short period of time. But this house belongs to all Missourians, and that's one of the things that when I was not living in this house, that I did have interested in knowing more about it. And I just, frankly, I just want to share this house as much as I can for the time period that I'm here. It doesn't always work with everyone's schedule because we do have a lot of things going on that have to take place here in the, in the mansion. But when we can, we're more than happy to try to schedule groups and share the entire mansion with them and, and share our history. That's one of the reasons that I've actually, we've developed the Mr. Buzz Around, and Mr. Buzz Around buzzes around the mansion here, and we do 360 videos of showing each room, because I think the children need to learn about our history, because it is so important. There's so many things here. I, myself, at my age, have learned so many things about this building during the time that I've lived here that I did not know before getting here. So if we can encourage and entice children to learn more about our state's history, that's what I want to do. So that's why we've developed the mascot, Mr. Buzzaround. We're going to be developing a little coloring book for them to be able to take with the history and be able to color that we can pass out to the children as they enter. For those who are interested in visiting the governor's mansion, where can they learn more about the facility and how to book a tour? They can just go to the Missouri Governor's Mansion website, and uh, there is a tab there to book a tour and they can sign up for a tour there. And what, what are some of your favorite spaces and places in the mansion? What, what, what are the things you like about it? Well, of course, the, in the residence park, the dining room is pretty special because it is a hand-painted wallpapered room, and it depicts the dogwood trees and our, our, our blue bird and, and uh, state bird and flower. And, and so that's pretty special room. It's, it's bright and it's happy room. The sun porch is mm-hmm. probably another second favorite. That's a place where I go out. I do a Bible study of a morning and read my coffee and just enjoy the view and look out. It looks toward the Capitol so I can see the Capitol in the background. And at night when the dome is lit, it's just gorgeous. So those two rooms are probably my two favorite rooms in the residence part. I can see why. Yeah. 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 Soon in the spring, fourth graders, third and fourth graders come by the droves, by the hundreds, by the thousands to Jefferson City. And, and one of their stops is, is obviously this, this magnificent building. When they come to, the, to here, what can they expect to see and what can they expect to learn? Well, I think there's so many sites and so many stories to experience about the mansion. There's so much history here. There's the artwork, the heritage of our state. There's just, there's some, there's beautiful artwork here, the portraits of the first ladies. And 
the antiques that's here is quite amazing and they're absolutely beautiful. So I just want to share all that with the children. As we prepare for the bicentennial in 2021, what are some things that you are looking forward to? Well, I think just sharing the state, the the and the, the governor's mansion here, as well as the bicentennial for the state. The governor's mansion will be having its 150th of the same year. So those two things are something that uh, I think we need to enlighten the people across the state about and have them make their way to Jefferson City and enjoy their history. What, what do you think is the most unknown thing about this building that would surprise most people or many people? Well, if, you've, if, if they've done any research on the building, of course, most people would probably know that it was built in 1871. But calculating that out, we're getting ready to celebrate in 2021, 150 years of this building. And so that's something that's, that's quite enlightening to people. But probably the most impressive things when we tell people on tours is that the, the building, the house was built in eight months time period. And that's you know, quite remarkable for a building this size without any power tools at the time. The, a lot of uh, prison help was, was done, used to build the house. The cost of the house was just below $75,000 at the time. And that partially furnished the house as well. So it's that's quite remarkable. We've, we've got pretty good use out of our money, I believe. Yeah, I would, I would say so. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's very beautiful. Uh, probably something that I went back to research to see how many families had actually lived in the house. Now, there have been a couple of governors that were here and then out and then back in again. But if you actually count the number of families that have lived in the house, there's only been 35 families before hmm. um, the governor and I now so that have lived in this house in the 150 years. Wow. That's not that many. Not that many. Not that many at all. Yeah. 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 So. Well, we deeply appreciate your taking time to talk uh, about the People's House with us. Thank you so very much. Is there anything else you want to add about being First Lady or about the the governor's mansion itself? Not that I can really think okay. of, other than we just would encourage everyone, anytime they're in Jefferson City, uh, try to make us a stop on, on their agenda, because this is a fabulous house. It's, there are so many things and so much history here. Okay. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. As always, I am your host, Sean Rost. The show's producer is Brian Austin. The opening and concluding credits are narrated by Kevin Walsh. If you're interested in more of the people, places, culture, and history around our Missouri, check out the following upcoming events. If you're in the mood for a little bluegrass music to kick off your summer, Raw is the place to be on May 19th for the Ozark Picking Time. This afternoon, Music and Memories will be held at the Cedar Street Playhouse in Raw and features Jimmy Allison and Midnight Flight, Jerry Rosa and the Roses Stringworks Band, and Meredith Sisko and Accomplices. This event is free and open to the public, though registration is appreciated. While you're there, be sure to check in with staff from the State Historical Society of Missouri to learn how the Historical Society is preserving the state's rich musical history. With the State Historical Society of Missouri's Columbia Research Center slated to be closed from spring to midsummer 2019 for the move to the newly constructed Center for Missouri Studies, you only have a few weeks left to view three featured art exhibits. In the corridor gallery, the exhibit Work Artwork consists of art by staff members and volunteers from the Historical Society's six research centers across the state. In the main gallery, visitors will find two exhibits, Benton's Perilous Visions and the Aesthetic of the Monumental Figure. 
To learn more about these and other exhibitions, please visit shsmo.org art exhibits. National History Day in Missouri is looking for educators, historians, writers, filmmakers, museum staff, and community members to join them at this year's state contest to judge student projects. State contests will be held on April 27, 2019 at the University of Missouri in Columbia. To thank you for your essential participation in National History Day in Missouri 2019, the State Historical Society of Missouri will provide a light breakfast and lunch, plus a travel stipend of up to $50 for judges whose round-trip mileage exceeds 75 miles. National History Day in Missouri is a unique opportunity for middle and high school-aged students to explore the past in a creative, hands-on way by producing a documentary, exhibit, paper performance, or website on a topic of their choosing. To learn more about National History Day in Missouri, including judge orientation and how to start a program at your own school, please visit shsmo.org nhdmo. On April 30th, join Deborah Foster Green, Professor Emeritus of History from Lincoln University, for her presentation entitled To Educate and Elevate the African American Press in Missouri. Part of the African American Experience in Missouri Lecture Series, this presentation will be held at the Memorial Union's Stotler Lounge on the University of Missouri's campus and sponsored by the Missouri Humanities Council, the University of Missouri's Division of Inclusion, Diversity, and Equity, and the State Historical Society of Missouri. Finally, coming up this summer, the Our Missouri Podcast will launch a four part series celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 mission and moon landing in an effort to document the history of the moon landing and grow the Historical Society's oral history archive. We will be collecting stories from listeners who are interested in speaking about their memories of this historic event. These memories of the moon landing conversations will be preserved in the Missouri Innovation and Exploration Oral History Project, with some of the stories being featured on the podcast. If you're interested in contributing your story, please contact us by email at rmissouri at shsmo.org. Thank you for listening to the Our Missouri Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast, including past and future episodes, information about guests, and upcoming events, please visit our website at shsmo.org slash our dash Missouri.